Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I'm here with Paige Niedringhaus. Hey, everybody. And TJ Van Toll. Hey, everyone. I'm Charles Max Wood from devchat.tv. I've just been uh, working on the Dev Heroes Accelerator. You can find that at devchat.tv slash heroes. And yeah, let, let's go ahead and get this kicked off. Now, this is a topic that I recommended mostly because I keep talking to people about it. And a lot of people are talking about basically how to get recognition at work, how to get recognition within the community, how to deliver at a high level at work, and again, within the community. And I was talking to people and where they kind of started landing was this idea of being within the top 5% of developers, right? And, and they usually have a list of names of people that they're like, oh yeah, you know, like this person and this person and that person. And so I'm curious, you know, as we get started, what in your mind, like think about the people that are in that top 5%, what kinds of things are those people doing? Like what makes them that top 5% of developers? Hey, are you looking to join a team that gets to work on really cool projects, great technology stacks like React, Gatsby, Contentful, AWS, and tons more? Similar things for Vue and Angular. If you're looking to grow in your career, work with an inclusive team that cares about the culture, and be part of something that you can be passionate about, then you should apply to work at this.labs. They focus on giving back to the community and having their developers do things like write blog posts and be on podcasts to help them enrich their careers as well. They're currently looking for engineering managers, senior architects, and senior software developers in React, Vue, and Angular. So if you're interested, send an email to jobs at this.co. Yeah, so I, I can maybe kick things off here. I think like, cause I'm, I've totally have the same sort of thing. You have certain names that come to mind. And I think that might be the first thing is, the reason you know these names is because they're putting their work out in a public place, either they're, writing about it, blogging about it, uh, maybe making videos, making mm -hmm. maybe speaking at conferences as well. Uh, because really lots of times the top 5%, right? That doesn't necessarily mean these people are the smartest or the best or they're like superhero programmers. Lots of times they're just the people that are talking about it and the ones that are putting their names out there, getting their opinions out there. So one thing I know I always encourage people to do and this is kind of hard because a lot of developers work on apps that are totally behind a firewall, um, totally internal apps, but try to find some venue for yourself to put your work in some sort of public venue. It may be starting your own blog to write about it, um, making your own videos, whatever you're most passionate about, whatever it's whatever it is you're doing try to put that work out there somewhere so that others can see it because that'll help both from just your own personal name recognition. It also helps with career as well. So when you go to you look for your next job, you just have a list of things that people can actually reference and you don't have to say, I worked on this app that uh, you can't see, see anywhere. So there's a lot of advantage from just having stuff out there in one way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. I, I completely agree with that. And it's it's funny that you immediately start talking about kind of the the softer side of programming, the soft skills part of it, because writing is not an easy thing. And it's probably not a thing that comes very naturally to a lot of developers because so much of their time is spent, you know, in classes learning about computer science theory, learning about data structures, algorithms, all that good stuff. But the thing that I've seen personally and 
with people that I know and that I follow and that I look up to is exactly what you're saying. It's that they, they work on the other side of it, which is, yeah, they write good code, but then they talk about how they wrote that code and they explain their thought process and they explain the obstacles that they had to overcome. And one of the things that really like, to me stands out as a a really good developer is not only somebody who can explain how they built something or why they chose the way they did it, but also help other people understand and get better based on the experience that they've had. So maybe not like a one-to-one mentorship kind of role, but just being out there to offer advice, being willing to listen, being a sounding board to hear an idea and then kind of give feedback on it or how they would approach it. So yeah, it's all that kind of intangible, non-coding stuff that (laughs) makes really good developers, in my opinion. Yeah, because it's things like that that are things that get you ahead in your career sort of thing. So if you're looking for more advanced for higher roles, like lots of times those roles aren't just like, well, who knows the React API documentation the best? That's usually, I mean, that that helps, right? If you have deep knowledge of that, it's not <laughs> a bad thing. But lots of times it's your personal skills, how well you are at convincing people that your approach is best or getting people on your side for a, a certain argument or like helping to architect and teach other people on your team of a, of a certain approach. So those things can have value outside of just like throwing a blog together. Those, those are the sort of skills that really do, uh, I think, just help you get ahead in the long run. Yeah, yeah, I have three three thoughts on this. One is is that anymore, if you're writing any kind of software that's complex at all, you're probably doing it on a team. So you have to be able to communicate. And, and that's be- becoming more and more of a critical skill. And so, and I think you both brought that in. The other thing that that comes to mind, TJ keeps talking about um, how this helps in your career. I actually have a story about this. And I've told this before. So if you've heard it, I'm sorry, because I tell it a lot. But my wife and I had been married three years, literally to the day. It was our wedding anniversary. And I went into work and my boss called me in and they'd been trying to shop me around. I was working for... It was my first dev job, but I was working for a consultancy. And my the contract I'd been working on had ended. They'd been trying to find me something else. Ruby on Rails was not their core technology, but that was what they'd been hiring me out for. And so they laid me off, right? They just called me in and said, we can't find your work. And they laid me off. That wasn't what they promised me when they hired me, but that's another story. So I go home and I get home and it's, you know, a little before lunch. You know, I've got two little kids at home. And my my wife is like, what are you, what are you doing here? Right? And I'm like, well, I got laid off, right? <laughs> Here's all my stuff. <laughs> and so I start applying for jobs and I got a call. And, you know, they're like, hey, can you come in in a couple hours and do an interview? And I'm like, well, sure, I'm not doing any anything else today. You know, we were going to go to dinner that night for our anniversary. And so I, I go down there and I talk to this guy and his name was Jared. And we're sitting there just chatting. And at the time I was doing Teach Me to Code screencasts where I was basically demonstrating Ruby on Rails stuff. And I was also doing the Rails Coach podcast where I was interviewing people about Ruby on Rails stuff. And so we start chatting and he asked me a question and not only would I answer his question, but I would also tell him where to get the video where I had recorded how to do it. And so we get out of the interview and I'm heading back home to pick up my wife so we can go to dinner. And 
I'd probably, I was probably 10 minutes from their office and my, my cell phone rings and I answer it, you know, back before I knew it was bad to answer your cell phone in the car. <laughs> and, you know, he's like, Hey, so I went and checked out some of your videos. When can you start? And of course I had been laid off that morning. So my answer was, well, I'll be there tomorrow. Right. And so I was literally unemployed for about six hours <laughs> and it, it was down to that content. Unless you think, oh, but Chuck, you're an expert. Like I said, that was my first programming job. I had been a professional programmer for about a year when that went down. And they made me a team lead a couple of weeks after they hired me. So you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to, you know, you can cover the basics. You can cover the stuff you're learning. And, and that's my third point is that usually these people, they kind of take for granted the stuff that they do every day. And so the stuff they're covering is the stuff that they're learning. And so it also demonstrates that these folks are consistently out there learning new things. And the, and that's what they're communicating about. Yeah, that's exactly it. I work on one of those internal applications like you just described where the all the code is owned by my company. I can't share any of it. Nobody could even get to the website if they wanted to see it in action. But I'm able to take stuff that I'm learning at work, like how to use the use context API with React or how to like real life examples of how use ref can be used beyond the, the React documentation of how to use it. And I'm able to turn that into blog posts because I know how to distill down these really large components and large scale examples that I'm working on day to day into smaller chunks and smaller blog posts that would make sense for an average developer. So mm -hmm. even if you are on these projects where you can't share the code base, it's not open source, it's not stuff like that, there's still ways to take things that you learn and that finally make sense to you and then share that through blogging, through videos, through smaller apps that you might make that use the same kind of patterns that you just used in your company's internal application. There's there's a million ways to do it. And it's funny because I've written blog posts now for about three years, some personally, some for other companies. And I still get emails from time to time from people who've read something that I wrote two, two and a half years ago that they just came across, thought was really interesting and actually wanted to talk to me more about. So it's, you know, one of my blog posts I'm thinking of is I wrote about how our team moved from AngularJS 1 to React. I still have people reach out to me to this day saying, hey, I saw this. It was really interesting. I'd like to talk to you because my team is doing something similar. Or it was just really interesting how you approach this. And I want to, you know, try and understand it more. So that kind of stuff, even though it seems like it's forever ago and it doesn't seem like it will continue to be relevant, it, it actually really will. There's still stuff about jQuery that's relevant. So there's definitely going to be people who are going to come onto legacy applications or even new teams and need to understand this kind of stuff. And, and that's what that content is great for. Yeah, and I think like, I, I like this topic a lot because usually when I've talked about this before and encourage people to be more public, to publish things, that's almost always the first question is like, well, what am I going to write about? Right. I'm not doing any interest, anything interesting. <laughs> and you're not doing anything you think is interesting. Right. Cause like you I, do it every day. 
And I'd say like, usually I've got two answers to that. First is you probably have some niche of what you're doing that's unique, like something unique to the apps you're building or the the industries you're working on that is, is sort of a unique angle that might not be out there. And the other thing is like, I, at least for me and everybody's brain and head works differently. But for me, if I sit down and just say like, I need to write something, then I probably won't just write anything. I, I need like a spark of inspiration. Like if I, if I hit a certain problem at work and then I find the solution and I'm like, oh, hey, that's kind of interesting. Like I try to make a mental note of like, oh, hey, that's not only interesting to me, like this could be an interesting thing to just write up real quick while it's top of mind and let me leverage this like, this moment of like clarity and inspiration and put that out there at that moment when I'm in the right mood. If I go look like it, like, and do like a, like almost like a sterile, like, well, here's the topics that are popular in the react world. Let me find one of them and try to find like a unique way of writing this. I'm probably not going to write something that's very useful or interesting. Right. I like, I need that spark of inspiration. So if your head works like me, then maybe just keep an eye out for, those moments during your workday where you you notice something sort of interesting and just make a note of it and maybe just write up something quickly about it later in the day. So we're flirting with this and I really want to talk about it, but, and, and let me back up just a little bit. So when I was a newer developer, I was constantly learning stuff and I just had the benefit of running into the right people, Greg Pollock, Eric Berry, that pushed me to publish, right? Um, I started listening to podcasts, reached out to Greg. He founded Code School, you know, has been involved in the programming community forever. Right now, he's pretty involved in the Vue community. But, you know, he encouraged me to start a podcast when I emailed him and asked him how. So I had that benefit. But the thing is, is that I was always learning something and I was always excited about it. And just because you're more advanced doesn't mean you have to stop learning, right? And this is another thing that I just hit. There are about four things that I see people doing on a consistent basis that put them in the top five. And this is one of them. Publishing is one of them, right? Putting content out there, participating in the community in that way is definitely one of the top ones. But the other one is, is that you're consistently learning. And so what you're talking about, TJ, isn't, hey, I'm going to go write so I can get famous. What you're talking about is, hey, I learned this new thing. It fired me up. I'm going to go write about it. And so what I tell people to do, and this sounds pretty extreme to a lot of people, but honestly, I go talk to more and more people who are out there doing this. And the more convinced I am that this is the way to go, spend an hour a day learning new stuff. If you can't do that, at least a half an hour, okay? At minimum, a half hour. And and that's after your kids go to bed before they get up in the morning, before your spouse is up in the morning. I mean, what whatever your blocker is to time, go put in that half hour plus. And the reason is, is because if you're doing that and you're consistently learning the, the right things, you will get fired up. You will be inspired to write this stuff. But the other thing is, and this is the thing that I'm finding now with like my full-time job working on Ruby on Rails stuff, is that the time that I put in on this stuff It gives me all these ideas when stuff comes up at work and I sound like this genius. And the reality is, is I read a blog post about it two days ago, right? And and I'm able to bring a better solution to my team, which is really what it's about. And so I can contribute at a higher level. And then also it turns into content and that's kind of my shtick these days, you know, with the podcasts. But yeah, you know, you need to be out there consistently learning and consistently growing. And I I have a whole framework for this. 
that we don't have time to go into. Maybe I'll come back on and we'll talk about that later. But yeah, I mean, what's your take? What do you guys do to stay current and to keep learning new things in, in this arena? Well, what I do in addition to what I'm learning at work is I've figured out that front-end development is really what I enjoy the most. So I am, like you, listening to podcasts. I'm a big fan of the Syntax podcast. Those guys I, are so funny. They are. And I really... I. <laughs> I buy West Boss's course courses. I subscribe to Scott Talinsky's Level Up tutorials because they cover a lot of things that I'm just generally interested in, like new improvements to React and different frameworks like Next. And you know, Scott really is just all over the place with animations and Dino and just new courses every month. So I love you know getting to try stuff out like that through them, and then that inspires me either for stuff at work or for my own personal projects that I'm building, like my website. So yeah, I, I enjoy those. I subscribe to some weekly newsletters like React Status and JavaScript Weekly, which are just great roundups of all kinds of interesting things that people are doing across those different spaces. And like you said, I just... I read a lot of other content, either as I'm trying to solve my own problems or as I'm just interested in it and want to learn more about it. And that really absolutely has helped me become a better developer, has helped me build my own projects and has helped our team build better applications for our users. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add to that. I think the my favorite part of what you said is like you know, things that inspire you or that you're passionate about. Because again, I think like if you set out to say like, I'm going to spend this hour a day and you make, again, like I'm going back to this, but like a clinical, like surgical list of like, well, here's the top 10 most popular JavaScript frameworks. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go sequentially through each and build <laughs> like a to-do list app. I think you're going to hate yourself for doing that because, and maybe not even learn so much because it's, it's something that like you feel like you should learn versus something you want to learn. Mm -hmm. So I do put in this extra learning time, but it's it's usually just like things that I find interesting or that I want to learn. So, and it might be just some completely uh, random stuff, right? Like I, I might get an idea to like build a little game. I have a stupid mm -hmm. little Pokemon Go app that I maintain. Uh, I do a bunch of stuff related to that, but it's funny how things like that can actually do play back into your the, the things you do on a work basis. So things that you're like, genuinely interested in, uh, whether it's reading, it can be just reading blogs, reading newsletters. So I subscribe to a few newsletters. I don't read everything in them, but I always skim them to look for interesting things. I read a lot of like general tech news as well, like beyond just frameworks. And just because I do a lot of writing, I, I like to just read people that write good <laughs> same thing with like videos like i watch a lot of youtube and it's funny because my wife yells at me she's like do you even work you just seems <laughs> me like watching youtube videos <laughs> but the thing is like it's funny you can get inspired by people that do things really really well and try to incorporate some of that into your own work i've done the same thing with like twitch streaming as well which i've been doing a bit more of recently well how do you get better at that? Well, you watch people that are good at it um, and you, mm -hmm. you know, either steal or get inspired by some of the things they do, right? Like I've been watching some streamers that have really, really nice like transitions, right? Like smooth animations, like, oh, like that makes things look more professional. Maybe I could do something like that. S same sort of thing, just 
whatever it is that you're passionate about, because you also don't want to get burnt out because I think another concern is the technology world changes so fast, right? And if you if you tell yourself, I have to keep track of every latest framework and everything that comes out, you could also get burnt out pretty easily and lose your mind. Um, so I, I would encourage people to look into things that you you want to do or you have some need to do and not to do it just for the sake of doing it. Mm-hmm. Yep. One other thing that I would say is that my my first manager or my, my manager in my first tech job gave me a great piece of advice, which was get used to being uncomfortable. He said, if you're uncomfortable with whatever you're doing, that means that you're growing and you're learning and you're outside of your box. Um, so I haven't always taken that to heart because I still enjoy being in my comfort zone from time to time. And there's definitely times where you just want to do your job and not really worry about anything else. But I found that by far the most growth and the most opportunities for me come when I say yes to things that I'm not comfortable doing. So the first thing that I can think of was after I'd been blogging for myself, I was approached by a company to write a blog they were going to pay me for. And that was uncomfortable because I hadn't worked with an editorial team before. I hadn't, you know, had to cite my sources. Just I hadn't had deadlines that were set by someone else. So that was an uncomfortable feeling. Another one was uh, a girl that I worked with asked me if I would speak with her at a conference. And that was the first time I'd ever spoken at a conference and I agreed to do it. I think that got you invited on a podcast, if I remember right. It did. It actually got me invited (laughs) to speak on this particular podcast. And the blog that I'm thinking of that I wrote actually got me onto JavaScript Jabber to talk about Node 12, which was the new hotness at the time. Mm -hmm. And more recently, I've been, you know, talking to people about potentially writing a course for React Enterprise. And that made me incredibly uncomfortable to even think about how I would go about doing that. But it's such a good opportunity. And that kind of stuff comes along and helps you stand out, like you said, to your current employer, to future employers, to people in the community. Um, And it's all just because you keep saying yes to things that you don't really know how to do yet, you don't feel good, good or confident about, and you figure it out as you go. And that, that I think is a huge thing is that even though a developer may not really know how to solve a problem. They say yes, and they figure it out along the way anyway. Boy, that's the job, isn't it? (laughs) Well, and and the funny thing is, too, that sometimes being wrong is the best way to learn also. So I remember back, this is now several years ago, but I I wrote an article on web components. This This is probably like six or seven years ago when they were a relatively new API. But I wanted to write an article that discussed like the issues I was having with web components. And I was sort of hesitant to write the thing, right? Because like I'm not an expert in web components. And, you know, so but I decided, you know, it takes a lot of guts, but I, I hit the publish button. And what's interesting is that like a lot of the more prominent people from the web component community came into the comments and reached out to me. And it was actually like I ended up learning a lot from it, right? Because how else are you gonna? You know, mm-hmm. how else are you going to get people from the web component spec to just come and shoot you a message, right? And talk about it. It's almost like you're getting free help and free support in a way from the people that work on it because you know they have some interest. You're talking about 
uh, their thing, right? So, but it's a, it can be, a, it's scary because no one likes to necessarily be put in the spotlight. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm happy I did it because I ended up learning quite a bit from the experience of going through that. Yeah, and that's the thing that I've seen in my own career. What what was really telling to me was when I'd been doing Ruby Rogues for about Ruby Rogues was the first real podcast where I was on with a panel like this every week. Was after we'd been doing it for about a year, I realized how much I'd grown just by talking to people. Right? <laughs> how much I'd really gained by week in and week out talking to the co-hosts that I had at the time but also the guests and just having them come in and inform me on stuff that I had never even thought about. And so, you know, the, we're talking about the consistent growth and doing the work to learn. And then we're also talking about publishing, but the two reinforce each other. And so that's, that's a really, really powerful concept. Yeah. And actually you could almost extend that to something that we haven't necessarily talked about too much yet, but networking, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Part of doing these shows, for example, is getting to meet people from the React yeah. community. And that's not only valuable from just a straight up, well, speaking to smart people, they can just teach you things, right? There's there's that in and of itself. But having those relationships with people can pay off in really big ways because then all of a sudden, maybe you do need a job and you need people to reach out to. Well, if you have other people that know people uh, that can only work to your advantage, and I think this is kind of a little bit harder in a COVID era um, because usually the my recommendation for this would be know your local community, go to to meetups, mm-hmm. go to to conferences and whatever area it is you specialize in. And presumably we'll get back to that world here before too long, but you could still try to get some of that accomplished in a, a digital world as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And even even today, I mean, the meetups around me and I'm in Atlanta, a lot of them have translated to online meetups. So I see the JavaScript group having virtual meetups. I see the React group doing virtual meetups. And it's not the same, but it's the best that we've got for now. Um, And people are still interested in that stuff. They still want to be learning new things and talking about it with other people who are interested in their areas. So they're still... They're still showing up. It's just a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, and I know a lot of developers are hesitant to get it. Like developers tend to be more introverted, right? But I think, like to Paige's point earlier, that this is just another point of getting out of your comfort zone. Like if you are that person that is introverted, I'd encourage you to just make an effort. Like it's funny because developers, since they are introverted, like just a little bit of extroversion and a little bit of people skills can set you apart because it's such an introverted crowd. So uh, it it really is worth taking that step out and trying to get more involved because it really does pay off. Well, Well, go ahead. The other thing that I'm seeing out there in the community is that we're bringing in a wider breadth of people. And so I don't know that the stereotypical introverted developer will necessarily hold for a lot longer because we are seeing all kinds of people joining our developer communities. And I, in my opinion, it makes it a richer experience, right? It really gives us the opportunity to think in new ways and experience new things and, and get the experience from other people. And so that's the other thing that really, I think is a powerful, a powerful thing that you get from this kind of networking is taking the opportunity to not just meet people who you have something in common with, which is, hey, we do React or, hey, we do some other technology, hey, JavaScript, 
but also we do React, we do JavaScript, but my lived experience is different from yours. And so I approach problems different from the way you do. And that's an opportunity for me to challenge the way I think about the problems that I'm trying to solve and put it up against, you know, your way of thinking. And as we do that more and more and more, it enriches the entire community and we come up with some really, really terrific stuff. Completely agree with you. Because even as you talk about that, I'm thinking about one of the developers that I work with, who's one of our staff engineers. And he has a very different experience in that right out of college, he and a friend of his started a software consulting company, just the two of them working on projects for clients. And he has a ton of experience in stuff beyond Java and JavaScript, which is what my team primarily works with. He has a lot of functional programming experience with Haskell. If you ever need help with the Lodash library, he is the person to turn to first because he knows it forwards and backwards and inside and out. And just knowing that I can go to him when I'm struggling with something that is like a large data set or it's being particularly slow to process or even I'm just having trouble getting data into the shape that I want it to be, knowing that he can will always say yes when I ask him if he's got time to help me is something that I value so much, as well as the advice that he gives me that how he got good at this stuff was by learning different languages, even though they don't directly tie into what we're doing today. Just kind of having that auxiliary background knowledge will inform the rest of the code that you're writing and make the team better for it. So even if you're learning something that's completely not related to what you do at work, like uh, Python or R or just something that Unity even, um, it's only going to make you a better developer and that's only going to increase your arsenal of how you might solve different problems. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I was... Back when I was saying, like, I do a lot of random things, I think that's one thing that I've discovered that random things can come into play. So just to give one specific example, I spent years working on the, the NativeScript project, which is a open source mobile thing for iOS and Android. But it was very much outside of my comfort zone because it's just native iOS and Android development. And it's amazing those years I spent there, how much things that from that environment play into just my day-to-day -day web development stuff because I can know like, oh, hey, on mobile, like on iOS, they do this. And like, maybe we could try to replicate that sort of experience, even though the web is a different platform. It gives me like almost a way of thinking outside of the box because I have in my head an approach that's completely foreign to the web, but which I might not be able to like, I can't bring in like iOS APIs, but just be inspired by the approach they take and just have another mm -hmm. angle of approaching the same problem. Yep, absolutely. And it's it's just interesting too, not just down to the approach to particular problems, but as I've moved through different communities and I've seen other people move through different communities, somebody will come from a community where they are very keen on unit testing or end-to-end -end testing, right? And then they'll bring those ideas over to another community that doesn't have that strong emphasis. And, and so what happens is, is they'll start trying to find ways to bring it into that. And so then that influence comes along and with that comes all the ideas and benefits of that. Right. And then that kind of gets taken up by the next community that somebody else moves to. And so we see all of these ideas move around and 
yeah, down to how we manage our code bases and how we think about building software in general that really don't specifically apply to React or Java or anything else. And it's just a function of how people move through and how ideas move through from one community to another. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Yeah, I'm fairly new to the React world. And because of that, I sometimes have like an outside perspective that can sometimes be valuable. So I've, I've got background with a bunch of other frameworks. So it mostly means I'm a really good complainer. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Why is this Why more like Angular? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, hopefully some of that like, can be constructive criticism, right? At least that's the optimistic angle of looking at it, that mm-hmm. so, some of this, like, well, you, you could argue that the, because of my, like, opinions, I help promote things that just work more the way that I like them to work. Um, so I, I think there is some influence there. So I like what you say about you, you sort of take bits and pieces from these communities and can help move those things forward. Yep, absolutely. Well, um, I want, go ahead. One thing that I've topic, so go ahead. <laughs> kind of, this is kind of going back to the whole promotion of yourself and your work and things like that. But one thing that I've noticed since I've started working on that personally is that things tend to snowball after a while if you are consistently showing up and shouting out into the void. Eventually, people will start to take notice if what you're saying is actually relevant or strikes a chord with them. Because I would say for probably the first year that I blogged and I blogged every two weeks about stuff that I was learning at work, stuff that I had learned at boot camp, what what have you, and probably had like a few hundred people on Medium who started following me. But after consistently showing up, saying things, having nobody respond, getting two claps on a, an article a publication on Medium reached out to me and said, hey, would you like to publish under us? We have, you know, how many, however many thousands of followers and we'll help you increase your reach. And I did. And my followers started growing immensely. But it was only after putting in the work and having practically nobody respond to it or recognize it or hear it. And then from there you know, other publications started reaching out and podcasts started reaching out and companies or individuals started reaching out. And that stuff doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time and it happens with consistent effort and regular cadences. Because I've 
I can't tell you how many blogs I've found of people who write really good stuff, but I look at whatever else they've written and it's like, there's a three-year gap between when this blog post was published and when the last one was published. And that, that to me is an indicator that either you are stagnating in your career or you just, for whatever reason, lost the will to share what you've been learning. And I don't know what you've been doing for that time. You could have completely gone to another industry. You could have picked up another language. You could have done something really cool and you just couldn't find the time to write about it. But I think that that consistency of continuing to be there and show up and share really makes you a figure that the rest of the community will want to continue to follow and engage with because you're you're there you're you're in the conversations you're sharing what you know and you can they can depend on you to be a regular source of new knowledge or new insights as opposed to just hey having that strike of inspiration writing one blog post about it and then disappearing off the grid again for four years yeah i'll I'll plus one then and i'll also say that it really is hard to fight against the the desire to give up because it really is hard at first because the the internet is a big place there are lots of people and it's it's hard to get uh, attention and focus on things that you're doing but that regular cadence does help quite a bit so Paige shared her blogging experience i've been getting into twitch streaming lately so i could share some of my experience there uh, the first time I hit go live on Twitch, I had exactly one person watching me. And for all I know, it was my mom or my coworker <laughs> or something. Who knows? Who knows who Thanks, it was? Mom. Yeah. And like the second or third stream I did, I had two people in there. And about 30 minutes into the stream, somebody came in to let me know that my mic was on mute <laughs> for 30 or 40 <laughs> minutes. And I just sort of collapsed into a ball in the corner and just sat there for a while. And, you know, but doing it more and more, like I'm now getting to the point where like I've, I've sort of switched up the format to see what's more interesting that's come from experience. And I still, I haven't been wildly successful, right? I'm still in the early <laughs> stages of this, but it's like, well, now 20 or 30 people now show up, right? And just, but that comes from putting in that work, putting in the cadence, not getting discouraged, knowing that you're going to improve. Because the thing is, there was only one or two people showed up at first, but what they were showing up for wasn't that great, right? I wasn't very good at it. Not, and again, not that I, uh, not that I'm great now, but part of the cadence is not just getting people to recognize you, but part of doing that cadence is you yourself improving and making the thing that you're producing something that people want to consume. Yep, absolutely. One thing on the other end of this that I want to throw in there, and I was going to talk about it when we were talking about learning, consistent learning is uh, there's an idea and it's actually out of a marketing book called Expert Secrets by Russell Brunson. And he talks about the Dream 100. And essentially what it is, is it's a list of 100 sources that you go to to get consistent information about the stuff that you're trying to learn, right? And so going back to this idea of putting out consistent content, that's what keeps people coming back. I mean, it's funny, people are like, well, how do you build a podcast audience like the one that you have for React Roundup or JavaScript Jabber? And the reality is, is we produced an episode every week and we talked about stuff that was interesting to our audience. I mean, it's, it's, it's conceptually that simple. It's a lot of work, but it's conceptually that simple. And so, you know, just by having something like that in place, you know, going back to, okay, how do I stay on top of this stuff? Is, yeah, you put those sources in right 
And I typically list Twitter accounts. I, I list Facebook groups just for community stuff, right? And then newsletters, page mentioned React Status and uh, JavaScript Weekly. And, and there are others out there that you can go find that'll talk about, you know, this stuff, you know, for backends and frontends. I'm just trying to think. Books, I, I do list authors. They're not publishing content on a regular basis, but usually it leads me to other stuff that is going out on a regular basis. And a lot of times the books are, they go into more depth than a lot of the blog posts and other places go. And so it's a different kind of medium for staying current. I should just bring up my Dream 100 and look. But yeah, blogs, podcasts, YouTube channels, Reddits. I know some people really, really hate Reddit, but there are interesting conversations that go on there in some of the subreddits that are, you know, that they give you great ideas. But, you know, places like that, you know, um, anywhere where they aggregate content or where people are having conversations and asking questions. I mean, all of that really... That's that's where I go for my learning. And so sometimes I'll wind up watching a conference talk and sometimes I'll wind up reading a blog post and sometimes I'll look through all of it and I'll say, hey, look, none of this is really that interesting to me or none of this is going to get me where I want to end up. And so I'll just go read another chapter out of the React book, right? And But, but again, you know, it's back to that consistent 30 minutes a day of learning. And sometimes I'll sit down and I'll actually, you know, write code off of one of the things that I learned. But usually it's pretty directed at the learning. So anyway, Dream 100 is the way to do that. And this is part of the the framework that I put in together for dev heroes, right? To keep them focused on who they're trying to help. But if you're just looking to learn, I mean, you get that list of consistent places to go look. You can go kind of cycle through that and really get a good idea of what's going on out there in the community. Yep. And some of this is just figuring out what works for you, mm-hmm. uh, what workflow. Because for me, like my my learning, at least, I, I usually, so I think everybody has their own strategy for this, but for mine is if there's some sort of new technology or new framework, I try to get familiar with what problem is it that this thing is solving. So I don't try to learn like every new thing in depth because there's just there's no amount of time that is going to get you that comprehensive of knowledge, but I'll try to think like, okay, what is this doing? Um, so that I have in the back of my head, like, okay, well then if I run across this problem, I know this of this out there as being a solution for this and roughly how it works. Or maybe if I've been reading, like Chuck said, like Reddit threads or Hacker news threads, like people's rough opinions on it as well. Having some of that background knowledge can come in really handy. And then I've, for me, I learn the best by actually building something, something that's useful to me. But lots of times those are just completely silly things that were throw, thrown away. I've built grocery lists that I don't know why I did this, but I, I ended up learning quite a bit about Angular back in the day. Like I said, I've got a, a Pokemon app I maintained. I built uh, Flash games in the past. I don't know why I did this, but it's, it's funny the whole thing you can, you can pick up from doing these sort of random activities. But I share that because that's just what works for me over the years, right? I'm not suggesting everybody go out and build Flash games. In fact, it's probably not the greatest idea. But find the thing that's going to keep you motivated to do that sort of thing, the thing that's going to keep you uh, learning and tinkering and building. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of in the same boat with you, TJ. I like to, uh, particularly, I like to have somebody kind of show me how they would use a framework that I'm unfamiliar with in a tutorial 
But then after I've done that, I need to build something on my own to really solidify everything that I've just learned about it. Because the tutorial is great. I can follow along, things work, nothing breaks. But then I decide I want to change this or modify that and things break. And that's when I really start solidifying the knowledge that I've just taken in is by going through those stack overflow threads and those GitHub issues and the documentation that I didn't look at that closely before. But yeah, it's the same thing. Building it and actually doing it and debugging it is how I really get to understand something completely. Yep, yep. I completely agree. And to to a certain degree, I mean, building something or building and testing something or, you know, building and testing and doing it without a certain level of help, you know, I put different constraints on it, you know, just to kind of push my, you know, challenge myself a little bit more, right? It's like, okay, I should be able to build a blah, 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 blah with React and Redux without having to go look at the documentation, right? Or, you know, and and for me, it's just, you know, the first time I do it, I just, does it work, right? And then it's, does it work and can I test it? And then it's, does it work and can I test it? And did I learn it so well that I've internalized enough of it to where I don't have to think about the basics, right? And so I push it to different levels when I build stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or you can even switch out the components that you're using to build it. Yep. If you use CSS and JS in one project, maybe you switch it over to use SAS in another one, or you try Tailwind for a minute, or you throw in a component library just to see how things change and how different they are, what feels better to you even. Yeah. And I'd say too, like just as a more generic tip, having some sort of generic side project or side app that exists outside of your work environment can just be handy in general to have because I have like a series of little apps where if I want to test something out, like I can, I have a place where I can throw it in there and see what happens. Whereas like for my progress development, right? I don't have like a logical production app where I was like, you know, let's try a full scale CSS and JavaScript implementation and just, well, I'll dedicate a few days of work to see how this goes, right? It's, it's, I, I mean, maybe, maybe you could find the right situation, but lots of times you'd be forcing it at work. Whereas if you have your own little playground, you have a venue that you can go to just do silly things, do experimental things that you can learn from. Yeah, the other thing is, is that usually the playground apps I must have a zillion repos on GitHub because I've done this on more than one occasion. But a lot of times then if I go in for that job interview or I'm talking about a specific thing on a podcast or something like that, a lot of times I can say, yeah, I went and played with it on this repo in this branch. And then people can go and look at it and they can see, oh, yeah, he kind of does have an idea of how this all goes together. Yep. I am nodding emphatically at everything that you just said, being able to point to those types of things or say, I built this, you know, here's a little mm-hmm. screenshot of it, or here's an here's a blog post that it inspired me because of it. That stuff is like gold. Yeah. Well, and I mean, effectively, and this goes more into the job search stuff, but people are looking for other people that they can identify with in certain ways. And one of the easiest ways, because code is just hard to identify with. Oh, you Redux, I Redux, we all Redux, right? But it's different when it's, hey, look what I did, right? Here's Because you're almost telling a story, right? About 
what you did with it. And that's just a different level of, oh, I get it. I get that you get it. Than it is if you're just explaining like the basic concepts of, oh, I have a reducer and blah, 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 right? I, I like the phrase that you just used there. I get that you get it because that's basically like when I do interviews and I'm on the interviewer side, that's basically what I'm trying to get across mm-hmm. from the person I'm interviewing. So I'll ask questions like, what do you think of React hooks or what do you think of CSS and JavaScript sort of thing? But there's not a right answer, right? Like I, I don't care if they say they love hooks or hate hooks. That's not the point. Basically what I'm looking for is that I get an informed answer that says this person is clearly experimented or to put it like you said, I get that they get it, that they, they know it and they have enough to have like a, a reasoned opinion on this. And that's what I'm looking for is for that little bit of understanding and having these little repos that you can tinker with gives you that ability to basically have that opinion. Cause otherwise it's, it's hard to have an opinion on something from just reading about it in blog posts. It's much mm-hmm. different if you can say, Oh, well, I don't like it. But I don't like it because when I tried to use it, the documentation was really confusing and I kept getting these weird compiler errors because that's how you can get across your knowledge of the subject, too, because then if, if, if other people will be able to share that experience and say, like, yeah, the documentation for that is really horrible. And um, <laughs> yeah. you, you pass along that understanding. Yeah, I have one more thing to add, and then I'm going to change the subject because there's one more important piece to this that I think nobody talks about. And I've kind of left it for last for a reason. But the other thing that this does is then let's say you show up and you're doing a job interview or you're talking to somebody and they bring up, hey, I'm using the React zingy McZingy face library that you've never heard of, right? And through the whole interview, you've been saying, oh yeah, go check out this branch of this repo. Oh, I played with that over here on this thing. And then they say zingy McZingy face and you're like, I have no idea what that is. I'm going to hire you because I know you're going to go home and there's going to be a branch on that repo now for that thing, right? (laughs) And more than anything else, when I've hired developers in the past, what I'm looking for is, yeah, can they do the job, you know, kind of basic level stuff, but more than anything else, and I've hired junior developers over senior developers for for senior developer positions because I knew that if I looked at them and said, I need you to know this, I need you to be able to do this, that they would come back tomorrow knowing how to do that thing. And that is more important to me and always has been than having the the senior developer that thinks that they know all the answers to the thing. And yep. so it, it really goes a long way toward convincing people that you're not a risk to hire. Anyway, we're, we're kind of getting toward the end of our time. And I really do want to talk about this last thing. And this is the, the one thing that I think we don't talk about that I think really makes the difference between the top 5% and even the top 1% a lot of times. And that is just having a plan, right? The, the folks that I see make it to the top 5% or the top 1%, you know, those people that are just out there doing what they're doing and everybody knows who they are they kind of find their way into it up up to the top 5%, just being the, you know, consistent learners and things like that. But the people who make it to the top 1%, at some point, they realize that there's a certain place they want to get to. And if they don't plan out how to get there, they won't be able to get it. And so they actually sit down and they say, okay, where do I want to be in a few years? What do I need to know to get there? What skills do I need to build to get there? And then they actually consistently execute on that. And so if you're looking, if you're top 
10% and you're just sitting there going, how do I get to top 5% or your top 5%? How do I get to top 1%? Yeah, you need to sit down. You need to figure out what you want. You need to figure out what that looks like and you need to make a plan on how to get there. And and so, yeah, you know, it's, it's this career planning and nobody talks about career planning in, in software development, but I find, and, and to a certain level, you can kind of coast your way up, right? You can kind of muddle your way through to a certain place. And I don't know if that's 25% or 10% or 5%, but after that, you need a plan and you probably need a coach, you know, and that coach could be somebody who's senior to you at work, right? It doesn't have to be somebody you go hire, but you need some level of mentorship as well. And so... Yeah, I'm a little curious how much of this you guys have done as far as just going, okay, I want to be in this kind of a position. And so these are the steps I'm going to take in order to achieve that. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's important. So I mean, just to share some of my story, I started off working in big insurance, right? Like a very typical corporate job. And I liked the place well enough, but I also knew that I was kind of bored with what I was doing and I wanted to do something more. And so my plan at the time was, well, I'll, I'll just start blogging, right? So I started a blog, I put that out there, um, that led to speaking. But the plan was always like the, the end goal was, well, I have to find something that just pushes me or challenges me more than what I'm doing. So that's the goal. And then the steps I identified were things like blogging and speaking as a way of getting there. And then I think over time, your goals have to change because it depends on what you sort of want, like um, not everybody necessarily wants to be a top 1% developer, which is mm-hmm. totally fine as well. So it's it's kind of setting yourself up, I think, also for reasonable expectations, um, but to have a, a goal that you can strive for. So for me right now, it's being a bigger name in some of the streaming worlds, right? So I, you have to continue to have goals. You have to continue to sort of uh, pivot on and move them over time as well. I agree with all of that. Um, Like for me, I came from a completely different uh, industry. I wasn't a developer by trade. So my first thing was getting through coding bootcamp, which was a great challenge. And once I had finished that, my initial goal was to just get a job doing development. And I was lucky enough to have set myself up to get that opportunity And once I was there, I was contractor. And my next goal was to get hired as a full-time associate. And then from there, once I had become a full-time associate, it was get promoted to a senior software engineer from a regular software engineer. And now that I've achieved that, um, it's kind of like TJ. It's like, I've been writing for a while. I should do more speaking engagements. I could probably write some longer form content. Um, I'd like to grow my Twitter following and just kind of get my name out into the developer community more. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm focused on at the moment. But yeah, it should always be kind of evolving and changing. And once you hit that goal, what is your next goal? You know, how do you want it? Or what do you even, what do you want to learn next? Like if you feel like you've got a pretty good handle on React, maybe you want to try React with TypeScript. Or maybe you want to look at Gatsby or Next or another framework and see how that compares. It's just it's just having more things to add to your resume and kind of build your street cred to other developers in the community. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And I think it's interesting too, because, you know, TJ talked a bit about sort of the 
the public facing stuff. But Paige, you know, some of the early goals that you had were just get a job or get to that next level in the job, which are easy to envision. It's easy to figure out what you have to do to get there, right? I mean, worst case scenario, you go ask your boss, right? I want to be a senior associate. What do I have to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you just go do it. And then you come 